the Empire podcast this week, now that Chris has gone off to Hollywood to make it with a big five picture deal, I, Ben Travis, get to run the show. <laughs> and let me tell you, things are going to work a little bit differently around here now. Helen, James, your days of tyranny are over. I'm the daddy. I'm the one in charge. If you cross me, I'll have you melted down for scrap. Ben, this ben, is going to be. Ben, what are you doing? Chris? Ben, Chris, this is ridiculous. I, I Chris, didn't go to Hollywood. Turns out it was a whole what? ruse. What? Uh, I checked the email. I traced it back to a bentravis at gmail.com. What oh, the hell? You found my alias? Tell you, boy. I'm warning you. I've got my eye on you. But I'm I just did you. the big thing. I just did well, the big it's too late speech. Now. Back in your place. It's back to your show. place, boy. It's, it's my show now. I'm the daddy. I'm the one in charge. And if you <sighs> cross me, I'll have you melted down for scrap. All right. Let's start again. podcast this week we have a sandwich of fun on ecstasy bread wrapped up in a big bag of disco fudge with the artist formerly known as tires from space come to daddy star michael smiley all that and the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast that has just infested all its life savings and robert pattinson's new pasta range piccolini cuschino the little pillow it's money in the bank friends money in the bank things go well I'm not going to be hosting the show next week. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast, which this week is once again brought to you remotely on lockdown. We try to record it as per government instructions with us meeting one at a time in a park, but it proved unworkable, not least because we kept being interrupted by clandestine MI6 agents. Get us soon, people. Get us soon. Anyway, we are back in our little offices slash living rooms slash... I don't know what the hell Ben is in this week, but I'm joined once again by three colleagues of such lethal cunning, Geek Queen, Helen O'Hara. Hello. Tyranny. <laughs> really? You didn't think that was a little strong? Tyranny. Wow. Oh, sorry. That was me. I don't know. It feels <laughs> fine for me. Ben revealed his true colours uh, in that moment. He, he, the mask fell. Yeah, the baby Yoda mask. <laughs> I was not throwing away my shots to uh, preempt some news that I'm sure we'll be talking about soon. Nope, don't know what we could possibly talk about vis-a-vis uh, -vis the shot throwing away. Anyway, Ben Travis is also here. Hello, Ben. Hello, 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 hello. Uh, where are you? Where, 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 where are you? I'm in my spare room, uh, surrounded by mountains of paperwork and shelves full of wonderful things spare room isn't that the country near narnia and you you travel through ward road <laughs> to get to narnia from there god i wish i could go to narnia right now they've closed all the borders damn it it's not safe mm. apparently mr tumnus got the rony oh, no. real bad oh no uh, so. he's well oh, over no, 60. <laughs> Well, no wonder. Look at him. He's walking around with there's nothing on his top half. He's, of course, he's going to catch something sooner rather than later. Uh, absolutely outrageous. Uh, last but not least, of course, we are joined. He's taking a healthy, hearty swig of Diet Coke. James Dyer. Hello, Christopher. How are you? I am fine. I am okay. Uh, <laughs> yes. Thank you for your interest and concern. It wasn't supposed to be a brain teaser. <laughs> it's a mindless pleasantry, but sure. Okay. Have you guys noticed this? Um, so we had a, a regular listener uh, called Uner, uh, and I probably messed it up from Rikiafik, and I messed that up, uh, who has been teaching us how to pronounce Thor in mm. the Icelandic way, which is actually more like a kind of, well, I think you'd have to dislocate your jaw to do it correctly, but it's something like the pure, or thur, 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 I don't know. Thur, thur, <laughs> thur. 
So we've been doing it wrong all these years. But then again, he's... The mighty Norwegian. No, well, as she, as she explained, yes. Icelandic is actually closer to Old Norse than Norwegian is. Yes, this is true. But uh, I am absolutely no closer. To, I, I, I'm sorry. It is beyond me. Obviously, I'm acing French uh, on uh, Duolingo at the moment, but Icelandic, that may be a little bit beyond me. But thank you so much, Unir, for uh, sending us that in. And hopefully by the next time we discuss a Thier movie, we it? will get it absolutely Ragnar- 100% rather right. Rather than Ragnarok? It was some... Ragnarok, yeah. Maybe Darcy was saying it right when she said Mia Mia. Maybe yeah. that's the uh, <laughs> that's exactly pron- that, yeah. pronunciation. <laughs> But do you do any of you watch the Last Kingdom? Anyone? No, Anyone at all? Just you. I watched the first season. Yeah, I so I just been binging the most recent one uh, quite recently, and it, it you end up going a little bit Danish after having like, but not in a good way. Like you, as in butchering the Danish accent. <laughs> not like really good welfare system. Well, indeed, indeed. But uh, I don't know. I find myself going full Uhtred of Bebenberg afterwards, and it's uh, it's not good for I anyone. Mean, we've all been there. I know. We? I know. That was my issue. I tried to watch that show and there were too many Uhtreds. Uhtred son of really Uhtred. to keep track. There are several people called Uhtred and half of them are related to each other. And I Well, ironically, confused. Uhtred son of Uhtred becomes brother to Ragnar Ragnarsson. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of that going Ragnar on. It gets life. quite confusing. Do you really? I do, yeah. Apparently, someone told me Ragnar Lothbrok from Vikings. Lothbrok <laughs> means baggy trousers, which takes sure. some of the bite out of him as Ragnar baggy trousers. Unless you ask why he's got baggy trousers. Because <laughs> he has a massive, a massive hammer. Is he just a big Madness fan or something? <laughs> ben made a Madness joke. Now, Ben, surely, surely you weren't alive when Madness were releasing pop singles <laughs> i don't think i was alive but i i use this thing called the internet that l- has records of things that happened before 1991 it's quite good surely not so hmm. Hmm. yes it's good shit it's good shit uh right anyway uh let's get into the show itself the main part of the show and to the delight of my three colleagues <laughs> of such lethal cunning we're going <sighs> to persevere what you guys enjoy no. this bit no i enjoy this bit we've been very yes, you do. this the listeners at Any home level. love this bit. They come away knowing a little bit more than they did coming into it. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. It really is a lot I, of fun. I suggest a different version of the quiz where, where Fact Me in the Face becomes us three listening to you and you have to present each of us with a fact each week. And, uh, and we'll decide which one of your facts is the best. <laughs> Go fact yourself. Fair enough. Which, weirdly enough, is the title of this week's <laughs> new facts section. Uh, so, it is time for Go Fact Yourself, the incredible new segment in which James, Helen, and the person in the rotating fourth chair, but this week hasn't rotated, it's Ben. I just went full 360, I rotated and then just rotated right back around again. <laughs> He's back, back, back. You know what, guys? You know, we were the, we were the team for the Mandalorian spoiler specials, and... This is the first week in about two months that we haven't recorded mm. one of those, and I and I missed I missed mm. you. I missed your scent. I missed your musk. I missed your little faces, and so it was a delight and a pleasure to get you back uh, this week to get the gang back, the old team back together again. After this, we're going to rob a bank. It's going to be a lot of Fantastic. fun. Fantastic. Cool. cool. Can, I, can I pick the music? I'll make it like Baby Driver. I'll do the driving and the music. Uh, can you drive, Ben? You're too young to have a I license, can. surely. I don't have a car, but I can drive. <laughs> okay. Helen, you have a car. I have a car. James, you have a car. I do have a car. I also have a selection of Mike Myers masks that we can use. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't tell us why you bought those. Thank you. No reason. Maybe one week. <laughs> yeah, just just for sex games. Nothing wrong with it. Um <laughs> 
they're all the love guru. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Oh, no. Mariska Hargate. Mariska no. Hargate. Anyway, it is time for the new section. What's it called? Go fact yourself. Uh, James, Helen and Ben have to impress me with a an incredible film fact. Hopefully something I have never heard before. And I will award a point to the winner at the end. The leaderboard is currently, well, as you can see, here, they're, they're, that loses the points that have been awarded to the pre- people previously uh, that I've been keeping track of. And as you can see, it's pretty tight at the top. So <laughs> let's move on to this week's... <laughs> uh, ben. I'm at first. I got news for you. You're not going to be on next week's show. So um, I'm going to have you melted down for scrap. But uh, as a result of not being on next week's show, you can go okay. first. So I picked my facts, which is completely unverifiable, and I personally haven't verified it. <laughs> so it's it's a fact in the loosest sense of the word. Uh, this was inspired by the news that came out today or yesterday, as you're listening to this, that um, Netflix is going to be adding Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again to its catalogue at the end of June, giving us something all to live for through another six weeks of lockdown. Um, As you all know, Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again takes the Godfather Part 2 approach. It's prequel, it's sequel, it's both. It's amazing. Um, So you've got big, long family tree uh, where you've got Meryl Streep's Donna. You're introduced to her mum, played by Cher, called Ruby. And it turns out, apparently... That Cher and Meryl Streep are actually related in real life. They what? are 16th cousins twice removed, <laughs> descended oh, from Sir what? Henry Percy and his wife, Lady Eleanor Neville, who were what? born in the 1400s. What? Oh, challenge. for God's sake. I challenge the veracity of this fact. <laughs> please, please go ahead. I got that beat. Well, there's I a second part beat. of the fact that is also oh, e- equally unverifiable. So... That's that's got the sequel part of Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again covered. The prequel part of the film has Lily James playing the young Donna, playing a young Meryl Streep. And Meryl Streep and Lily James are also related. They <laughs> are ninth cousins three times removed, apparently. Okay. I mean, so, look, is this sorry. like one of those things where, you know, one quarter of the world's population is rela- is directly descended from Genghis Khan. Is it one of those? Because like, if you go back far enough, we're all related to that fossil in Africa. Probably. Maybe we're all related to Cher. I mean, Wouldn't that would be, be dreamy. That would be better. <laughs> or Meryl Streep. So you're saying that if we could turn back time, Ben, if we could find a way, <laughs> find a way we could we go all back to the 1400s. That we're somehow connected to Cher. Yes. And after you've been once, then you go, here we go again, and go back. Right, and- right. So, like, everybody's related to Cher, like, just like Jesse Everybody's James. related to Cher, wow. and also Meryl Streep, and also Lily James. Can I ask a question? Where did you find this quote-unquote fact? <laughs> it may have just been on the trivia page of IMDb. Oh, my God. Oh, God. Well, everything on there is true, so that's absolutely verified. Exactly. Nobody can edit that. It's all solid, pure gold facts. Do you think Cher has been editing that? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Although she's got a very distinctive way of typing. Have you ever seen Cher's tweets? It wasn't written in like half emojis and sort of cryptic uh, crossword clues. Yeah. You'd know so if Cher wrote it. Maybe Meryl Streep wrote it. It's very eloquently written. Or Cheryl Streep. There you go. The Venn diagram between Cher and Meryl Streep is Cheryl Streep. Mm. Think mm. on that. Just something to ponder for the next week. Of course, they've, they've been co-stars as well, haven't they? Mm, mm, mm. 
Yes, they have. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting three blank faces staring at me. Yes, Silkwood. Of course, Silkwood. yeah, yeah, yeah. I did know that. Uh, but I got that beat. I got that beat in the old genealogy mm-hmm. stakes. So last year I had the uh, great pleasure to interview Spike Lee. And uh, towards the end of the interview, he revealed to me that he is cousins with... Cher. See if you can guess. Not Cher. You have one guess each. Twelfth cousins. Twelfth cousins, apparently, according to a genealogy Ang website. Lee. Not Ang Lee. No, although they did, they were they went to the same film school. Cool. Christopher Lee. Is it another Lee? <laughs> <laughs> Jennifer Jason Lee. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The answer would not impress Shania Twain. That's another clue. <laughs> Brad Pitt. I can't. Do you know what I did? An, I did a, a Zoom quiz. Uh, the weekend before last, and one of the questions was, "Can you list w- three of the things that didn't impress Shania Twain?" And one of them is this this actor. So your insert actor name here, and I've immediately forgotten why. Because that song is the worst song in the world, and <gasps> Shania Twain is the worst thing to ever come out of Canada. James, so, how dare you whoa. say that? It's true. Oh it's my. true. You take that back. You think you're a scientist, James? Is that that it? song does not impress me at all, let alone much. <laughs> it's just, it's hateful. Is it because all the things that she's not impressed by are things you aspire to be, like a rocket scientist, <laughs> yeah. and you've got a car, yes, and that's it. <laughs> Fuck you, not impressed by my rocket scientist. <laughs> no, but literally all of them are the movie are in the movie Ad Astra, where Brad Pitt plays a rocket scientist with a car. <laughs> 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 so Shania Twain hates Ad Astra. Is that basically what you're getting at? Shania Twain hates Ad Astra. No, somebody, somebody joked about this on Twitter and she, she did retweet the joke. So I think we can assume. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Oh, that does impress her much. Okay. Anyway, so yes, Spike Lee is Brad Pitt's 12th cousin or cousin 12th removed. T- cousin 12th cousin. Tw- anyway, they're related, wow. basically. Good fact, Ben. Good fact. I enjoyed that fact that you said. Uh, Helen. Hi. Yeah, so I watched um, the, the TV show um, Hollywood this week. Please don't interrupt, James. It's good start. And uh, <laughs> On the Pilot TV podcast this week. See, you do it for him. He doesn't even need to. Well, funnily enough, we did review it a couple of episodes ago. Here's a beautiful thing, though, Helen. Yeah. This week I discovered multi-track editing. Multi-track editing means I can remove... Anything James says that I don't want people to hear on the podcast. Ah. So there's going to be a session where I'll say on the, and then there'll just be dead air. <laughs> well, you've, there'll be, you've just removed all mentions of the Pilot TV podcast. You're going to bangly bang it out just to, just to, every time I say it, it'll be bangly banged out. So anyway... Sorry, yes. Helen. Sorry. Carry on. In, Carry on. In the TV show Hollywood, which was interesting, if ridiculous, very ridiculous, Dylan McDermott appears playing a pimp, basically, who runs a gas station. That don't impress me so much. So he hires really handsome men to work in the station. But the catch is they're not just there to fix the cars. They're also there to, you know, um, with dreamland. customers. What, work under the hood? Yes, to take customers to, and I quote, dreamland. Help fill up their petrol As it tanks. Were. Yes, male and female customers. No discrimination there. Okay. Um, but he's actually based on a real person who, for a certain amount of time, did work initially in a gas station. Now, he wasn't technically a pimp, he says, because he didn't take money for his introductions. But what he was, was a person who was available for, well, sex in Hollywood for a very long time, and who was also available to put you in touch with other people who might provide sexual services for a very, very long time. So this guy claims, it's a guy called Scotty Bowers, 
He was a GI in World War II. He was on Iwo Jima, I think. Came back to uh, LA yes. yeah, after the war and then just kind of, he was handsome. He was apparently, you know, equipped and he did very well for himself just hanging out with all of these famous people. What was he equipped with, Helen? He was equipped with a large Squeegee. penis, Chris. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I mean... You're not cut out for life in this bawdy <laughs> 1970s hospital, are you? <laughs> Queen of the single entendre. Oh, dear. Anyway, so he is the source of most of the so-and-so was gay stories that you've ever heard. Maybe not the only source, but a source for most of them. So he claims to have had threesomes with Cary Grant and Randall Scott. He claims to have had sex with Spencer Tracy, but also to have acquired over 50 years, 150 women for Catherine Hepburn, um, and generally to have shagged rings around himself for throughout Hollywood history. Is he how we're all related? <laughs> I think this is all becoming clear to me now. <laughs> Oh my God, I think we figured it out. Did he bang the fossil in Africa? <laughs> I mean, it seems likely he took it to dreamland. So yeah, so that that's basically it. That There was this um, Hollywood, maybe not quite technically pimp, who shagged half of the studio era A-list um, and, and had a merry old time, apparently. So well done, everybody, I guess. Jimbo. Okay, so my fact comes from a film from my favourite genre, comedy, and specifically the film Dumb and Dumber. So Dumb and Dumber, as you will know, was a film, and that's <laughs> that's not technically my fact. But uh, so Dumb and Dumber was a film, obviously, that came out in 1994, directed by the Faraday Brothers, and for this film, they needed a pair of stars needed a pair of stars needed to do a lot of comedic heavy lifting it's a very it is a funny film even i find it amusing it rests largely on the performances of the two leads so one of the people they wanted to use was jim carrey jim carrey who was a comedian who was known but hadn't been in any films so they approached him they spoke to him they said like you know what do you want to do the film and he wanted four hundred thousand dollars to appear in this film, Dumb and Dumber. They, of course, said no, and they counted, and they said, look, look, we'll give you $350,000, and he went, no, I'm not taking it. So they went, fine, all right, we don't need it, whatever. And then his first film came out, which was, of course, Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. Came out, had a very big opening weekend, it did very well. So they came back to him, and they said, all right, all right, Jim, 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 we'll give you the $400,000 if you will star in this film. At which point he went, or something along those lines. <laughs> he went, Indeed. I'm not going to do that. Um, <laughs> I will not attempt a mask quote. But anyway, he he said no. So he came out and said, no, I want $500,000. They were like, oh, for fuck's sake, you absolute. And uh, so the negotiations went backwards and forwards. And as the negotiations were ongoing, Ace Ventura was making more and more money. More and more money flowed into the Ace Ventura coffers to the point where ultimately they ended up paying Jim Carrey $7 million to star in Dumb and Dumber. Bearing in mind that the film's entire budget was $16 million. It was $7 million <laughs> and 50 well, I mean, cents. A little bit like that. So, 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 but, but conversely, while this was going on, they needed to fill the other spot. And the Farley brothers had seen something wild and were very impressed with one Jeff Daniels and decided they wanted him to be in this film. Unfortunately, the studio execs were not impressed with this choice. They were like, no, 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 he's not done really 
a lot of comedy. He's not. We need a comedic actor. We need someone funny. Like this whole thing rests. You know, we've got Jim Carrey. We want Jim Carrey. We need someone funny. Uh, so they offered Jeff Daniels fifty thousand dollars to be in Dumb and Dumber on the absolute assumption that he would turn it down and then they would get someone they wanted. But Jeff Daniels, perhaps the biggest joke, accepted $50,000 to be in the film. I think, I guess, presumably because he liked the script and also I guess it raised his profile. But the end result of this is that Jeff Daniels was paid $50,000 to appear in Dumb and Dumber and Jim Carrey was paid $7 million to appear in Dumb and Dumber. And that is why the world is not fair. And that is my slightly down fact. (laughs) All right, guys, I'll be honest, this, uh, there wasn't the, the greatest trio of facts this week. Um, however, oh, well, I guess um, we should cancel this whole segment. Oh, what a shame. <laughs> Golly. Um, let me see. Ben's, some, someone was related that to someone else. That wasn't actually a fact. That was fiction. Okay. <laughs> it could be yeah. a fact. He just made it up. I blew you out of the water with my uh, Brad Pitt and Spike Lee uh, revelation, in fairness. Helen's was uh, a bloke who may or may not have shagged a whole bunch oh, of people. Oh, no, in fairness, he definitely shagged some of them. It's only a question of how many. <laughs> and, and still had time to do his, you know, petrol station duties. Well, he left there after a few years. Oh, okay, I was going to say, because I've worked at a petrol station and it's pretty tough work. You have to, you know, you have to check the, the levels of the petrol and you have to serve the people mm-hmm. and you have to make sure people's cars are well, clean. When you and, say you're uh, serving the people, you know, Chris, have... what, what kind of service were you providing? Oh, I was fucking them. Oh, okay. Well, that can't take long, though. Oh, absolutely <laughs> not. <laughs> was, was it a pay at pump type scenario or? <laughs> Just asking. Did you also have to do that thing where you point at the one pound items on the counter and be like, do you want any of these before you before you leave? Chris, where are you the one pound item on the counter? <laughs> <laughs> oh, good stuff. Good stuff. Anyway, see, James does go, James and Helen go really go the extra mile, don't they? You, you, really, you put the, the hard yards in. I read a thing. That's hard yards. I read a you thing read a and thing. then I read it out. <laughs> <laughs> read a thing, thing and then I read it out come on <sighs> Helen are you in front? I don't know I haven't been keeping track I think the winner <sighs> who, who do you think should be the winner? it's all pretty tight it's pretty tight anyone but Ben Ben's pointing himself Ben you're not the winner this week no, um, sorry I'm sorry you're, but you're not it was rubbish it's a rubbish fact uh, Ben you get to choose Helen or, Helen or James Ooh, I can see the sheer excitement in James's face, which makes me want to go with Helen. Um, I'm going to go with Helen. Hey! Um, Helen wins this week. Well done, Helen, for her bloke knobbing his way through Hollywood fact. Helen's was just as much a fact as mine in that it was very interesting, but equally disprovable. Or is it? No one's disproved it yet. <laughs> or, or is it? Yes. Also, a couple of weeks ago, Helen's fact was uh, about Warren Beatty as well. And it was quite rude. A lot of your facts are quite saucy. Well, those are the ones that you seem to like. I didn't choose this one. I know. That's true. That's true. But I'm going to blow you out the water with, uh, with a fact okay. I own this week. Uh, so this week, I was making a joke on Twitter about, you know, that old chestnut uh, on the soundtrack of The Phantom Menace, where John Williams gives away like massive spoilers in the mm-hmm. track titles. Um, you know... In case you haven't heard, two of the track titles in The Phantom Menace are Qui-Gon's Noble End and Qui-Gon's Funeral. So <laughs> thanks a bunch, John Williams. Uh, and, and bear in mind also, the soundtrack album came out before the movie opened. 
you idiots. So I did a joke about this week, you know, going, oh, what's the most egregious spoiler you've ever seen in the soundtrack? Uh, and someone wrote in to me, someone replied, someone wrote in to me, someone at PO Box 475, <laughs> someone replied to me on Twitter saying that the soundtrack for The Sixth Sense, which came out the same year, is actually worse. And they included a picture of the track listing. And I thought, they've got to be pulling my leg. That's got to be bullshit. So I looked it up on Apple Music and it is not bullshit. This is actually true. The track listing for James Newton Howard's soundtrack for The Sixth Sense is purest evil. Track 11. And look away if you have not seen The Sixth Sense. Track 11 of this movie, which which tried to hold close to his chest one of the biggest twists of all time is entitled Malcolm is Dead. <laughs> what the actual fuck is going on? Oopsie. Maybe it was a, um, a 1999 thing. Is there a bit on the Dust Brothers Fight Club soundtrack called They're the Same Person? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Jack is Tyler Durden. <laughs> the Usual Suspects tray, uh, soundtrack has that famous song, uh, It's Kevin Spacey. Yeah, it doesn't get so much airplay now, that song. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> it's Kevin Spacey. <laughs> ah. dun, dun, dun. But there you go. So that's my incredible wow. fact. And I think I would have won if I'd been in the game. But Helen wins this week, which takes her lead, as you can see here in the leaderboard. I've just updated it. And you have got one more point this week than you did <laughs> last week, Helen. Thank so you, well done. You. Well done indeed. If anyone is keeping track of the scores, then do write in and let me know who's winning. So that's the end of Go Fact Yourself. And that's moved seamlessly into this week's listener question. And this one comes from Twitter user at Jose Burtz, or maybe Jose Burtz, who knows, uh, on Twitter. And he asks, for an actor who can do no wrong, and we don't like to be negative here on the Empire podcast, but this is a good question. For an actor who can do no wrong, what is the worst Daniel Day-Lewis movie? Now, before we get into it, there is a right answer here. And on the count of three, we're all going to say the answer at the same time. And we're going to magically get it right, okay? So... One, two, three, Get nine. <laughs> <laughs> Shit! <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> Lincoln! I, what, what can I tell you? You bored me. That don't impress you much. <laughs> it really didn't. It's not as bad as Shania Twain, but it's, it's, you know, it's up there. There's wrong, and then there's really wrong, and then there's what you just said, which is... Wrong, 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 wrong. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so you're the 16th president of the United States. That don't impress me much. <laughs> Thank you, Google. Uh, Lincoln, seriously. Really, seriously. No, it's, it's, I'm, not, I'm not sure it's the worst. It's one of the ones I think I enjoy the How? least. It just didn't click with me. Weirdly, though, Gangs of New York did, and a lot mm. of people hate Gangs of New York, and I really like it. So maybe this just means that I'm slightly out of sync with everyone. But um, yeah, true. I would take Gangs of New York over Lincoln. I mean, I don't love it. Who hates Gangs of New York? A lot of people do. Because it kind of goes a little bit, you know, off the rails in the last act. So It just... um, Didn't get a lot of... I was kind of out after uh, Liam Neeson died, to be honest. So, I mean, that was a long time being out. (gasps) Spoiler. (laughs) After his noble end. Yeah. Hey. Does anyone know the name of his character in that movie? Big Liam. <laughs> Big Liam's noble end. We've all heard the rumours. Priest Valen is actually the character that he plays. That's right, yes. Yeah, the tripod's noble end. Good Lord. <laughs> <laughs> so you're Liam Neeson. That don't... Oh, that does impress me much. 
gosh. Anyway. <laughs> so nine, you're saying, is the worst Daniel Day-Lewis film. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, for me, it's nine. It's got to be nine, right? Nine is a terrible film. I mean, here's the thing about Daniel Day-Lewis. He hasn't made many movies. He has 30 credits to his name as an actor on the IMDb. And um, one of those is a video short. And another one of those is a TV show. So he made a number of TV shows and stuff when he was a young, struggling, ridiculously handsome actor uh, in the in the early 80s. But he hasn't really made that many, many movies. But of those, the ones that he has made, Nine's a stinker, guys. It's a yeah, big it's old not stinker. Great, is it? I was just going. I was going with Gandhi just because it amused me to say that yeah. Gandhi was the worst movie he'd been in. But he is in it for about a, a thirty seconds, and he kind of tries to bully the very young Gandhi when he was still a lawyer. So yeah, it's it's not his <laughs> finest hour, but it, it happened. Uh, I will say full confession: I have not seen his 1989 movie *Ever Smile, New Jersey*. Which, I was about to say the same thing. Yeah, yeah, which doesn't sound that great. And that was kind of when he he made his breakthrough. He won the Oscar that year for *My Left Foot*. And I've never even heard of this film, so that could be terrible. And there's also a 1986 movie called *Nanu*, which I imagine is a Mork and Mindy spinoff. Um, <laughs> I haven't seen that one either. That could also be terrible, but you never know. But of the ones I have seen, Nine, which is Rob Marshall's weird all-star musical inspired by Fellini's Eight and a Half, but it's like rounded up, (laughs) I guess, Um, is not good, you guys. It is not good. Uh, So that one. Ben, did you say anything? No, I I, like I legit. This is the point of the question, but I legit haven't seen any bad Daniel Day Lewis films. Um, The 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 whole um, eight and a half nine thing sounds like a really terrible idea you'd have in the pub, and then hopefully the next day you'd have had a few drinks and wouldn't remember it and just never end up making it. Mm. It was quite a successful musical on Broadway, I believe. Was it? Believe so. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's it's, yeah. It's it's not a bad musical. Mm -hmm. It's a bad, bad film. film. Um, yeah. But I mean, otherwise, like all of the all of the Paul Thomas Anderson stuff is amazing. Phantom Thread, incredible. There'll be blood, amazing. I really like Gangs of New York as well. Like especially his performance, really sort of cranking it up. It's great. So I I genuinely have not seen I've not seen Nine. So I haven't gone. Uh, I haven't seen the the one that is. <laughs> notoriously not great so i legit have no answer for this question Mm. but well done daniel day lewis you did a good acting you did a good acting well done you yeah now enjoy (laughs) making your shoes is that what he's doing making shoes no he did that for a while and then he retired from that and came back to acting and Mm. now i think Mm. it's yeah i don't think he's gone back to cobbling he always seems like he's retired in the same way that steven soderbergh is retired like you know if he gets something he wants to do he'll just do that but Soderbergh's retired in the sense that I'm retired, but yes, but you just made 27 films. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but in a week. Yeah, I know, but I was bored. Whereas, you know, Day-Lewis, there are huge gaps between his movies. Like there were five years between Lincoln and Phantom Thread. And since then, that seems to be it. That seems to be it for him. Um, and he really hasn't made that many movies, you guys. I mean, there's Crucible, The Boxer, Guys in New York. Not that many at all. But anyway, listen, like I say, we don't like to be negative here mm-hmm. on the Empire podcast. So rather than focusing on the worst, let's finish this off by focusing on the best. On the count of three, <laughs> I want us all to say the Daniel Day-Lewis film that we think is the best. And again, there is a right answer here. And I expect us all to shout it in unison. Mm-hmm. Okay, you ready? One, two, 
three. Love no, me blood. There will be blood is incredible, but I just have a very big soft spot for Lincoln because I find myself throughout it having to remind myself that he wasn't literally Abraham Lincoln. Whereas usually you're sitting watching a great performance going, oh my God, this is a great performance. In this, I was literally having to remind myself it was a performance. So it gets bonus points. Four score 20 years ago. Man, there's evidence. (laughs) It's no last of the Mohicans, Helen. It's no last of the Mohicans. No, I do like that as well, but it's better. Let's be honest. He's the most swoonsome in that movie, isn't he? He is. He is at peak swoonsome. Yeah. He, he, I have a friend who has never gotten over that movie, and probably <laughs> really? never will. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a bit of a downer. It has to be said. Many of his movies are. You don't go to him for chuckles. Yes, there are like three different cuts of Last of the Mohicans. Did you know this? Like it got recut for the DVD mm. release, and it's way different. It has an awful kind of voiceover monologue thing at the end, and then it, and then uh, Man recut it again. And there's a there's a sort of definitive final version of it, which is a bit, bit like mm. bit like Blade Runner. Like it's been fucked about with a few times, but definitely the most recent. I think the Blu-ray one is the one to get. But if you've got the DVD one, check it. You might have the shit version of Last of the Mohicans, which you can't watch because it's terrible. <laughs> it might actually say that. It does. Last it says the shit version. The shit version. <laughs> it's got the Leon version integral. It's la version shit. Um, but this, uh, Mer- if you go to the end, Mer- Chingachgook has a long monologue. Uh, it basically explaining the plot of the film, then it's the bad version. Don't then throw it away. Burn it. Kill it with fire. And in the end, he was the last of the. That's exactly what he says. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, again, looking at his filmography, if you want chuckles of an evening, you don't mm. pick out a Danny Day Lewis film, do you? You. Not right. You know. Phantom Thread and There Will Be Blood both have laughs. Well, funnily enough, he was nearly in Dumb and Dumber, but unfortunately, he wouldn't work for fifty thousand dollars. So. <laughs> Uh, so that was, that was he demanded he demanded eight million. million and really awesome. yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine Daniel Day Lewis shitting himself on the on the toilet? Can you imagine the lengths he would have gone to? Oh, that would have been dangerous for it him. It would have been dangerous. Yeah. yeah, legitimately getting his tongue stuck to a ski pole. <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. That is Daniel Day Lewis DDL. Uh, poured over to everybody's satisfaction, but mostly Jose Burt's on Twitter. If you want to have your question read out in the Emperor podcast and treat it with the respect it deserves, get in touch with us on Twitter. Every Thursday, I pretty much give a panicked shout out for questions uh, so you can respond to that or you can get your question in early. Uh, we're at Empire Magazine. Use the hashtag Empire Podcast or chances are we won't see it. We're also on Facebook eh, and we are on email. Also podcast at empireonline.co. M. All right, time now to tuck lovingly into this week's movie news. And I think there's only one place that we could possibly start. Something that got us all very excited this week, folks. It's the news that Arnold Schwarzenegger is going to play Dutch in downloadable content <laughs> for a Predator video game. Now, that's exciting. Name isn't the it? game, Chris. Name isn't the game. It? Can you name the game? Do you know the game? Predator Downfall, Predator Downcharge, Predator Downwind. There's a Predator Hunting Grounds. Hunting Grounds. (laughs) (laughs) Predator Downfall, though, would be amazing. Where Predator in a bunker calls on all his subordinates to explain exactly where it went wrong. It was the Predator that killed Hitler. This is what a lot of people don't know about the Second World War. Hollywood, again, if you want to get in touch with us, this is a great fucking idea. The Predators and World War Two. 
All right. So that's exciting. Well done, Arnold. So that's available, downloadable content if you buy Predator Downfall or whatever the fuck it's called. Um, and you can you can <laughs> check that out. It's exciting stuff. Um, glad to see Dutch back in the Predator universe. Uh, didn't Arnold turn down a cameo in Predators? Not in Predators, I believe. Certainly in The Predator, he did. But one day, wasn't he meant to be the Lawrence Fishburne character? In yeah, Predators? I think it was the was that the just, idea? I mean, uh, I, as I recall, it feels like one of these things I read on Wikipedia. But yeah, I, they, I imagine they approached his people. I don't know if they've got Tim, but I think he was in the negotiation stage about like because he was written into the script for the Predator originally. Like he was he was going to be in it uh, for a bit. There was going to be a sequence where I can't remember the name, but there's a guy on YouTube who does very famous Arnold Schwarzenegger impressions, and the scene was going to be that guy doing Dutch, doing like an impression of Dutch, and then turning around and Dutch would be there. So, that's pretty hilarious. I'm still waiting for the Predator musical. I love the Predator <laughs> musical. The Conan one, to my mind, is slightly better. Uh, but uh, you're the lamentation of the winds. Google, please, if anyone hasn't Google Conan the Barbarian the musical on YouTube because it is absolutely worth listening to. Yeah, yeah, but you like that one because that's basically your motto in life. <laughs> Crush my enemies, see them driven before me. I mean, that's fair. Yeah. Whereas if it bleeds, we can kill it. It's just a banger. That would be cracking. Also, they, they could use Total Eclipse Lahard, couldn't they? Turn around. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, that wasn't. That was a fake out. That was a fake out about that news. It is true news. It is not fake news, but it's true news. But uh, that's not the news that got us all very excited this week. I am, of course, talking about the news that Tamura Morrison is going to return as Boba Fett in season two of The Mandalorian, which dropped one hour after we put the podcast up last week. Thanks a What I particularly bunch. liked about this news is they were clearly expecting people to be like, yes! And it was just the sound of a thousand tumbleweeds <laughs> flying across the Tatooine <laughs> desert, the jungle and waste, just silence, as everyone was just like, really? For fuck's sake. Although Patton Oswalt <sighs> did tweet and go, called it! And posted a clip to his um, his filibuster in Parks and Rep, which I thought was great. But uh, this is not good, is it? Is anyone pleased about this? This feels like a this feels like a Tamura real Morrison's delight. Tamura Morrison. I mean, thrilled. I'm thrilled. But other than Tamura Morrison, uh, Jeremy Bullock less thrilled. Yeah, I just it feels just a bit retconny and a bit unnecessary. I just I, why do you need Boba Fett there? Like we've you, you're taking a guy who looks like a Mandalorian but has no character and is ultimately shit. Uh, we have now surpassed him because we now have a character who looks cool. In the same way, but it's also good and interesting and layered and has a past and a character. So why bring back the shit one? This makes no sense. Well, okay. I, I kind of joked about this on Twitter, but genuinely, the fact that he has stolen Mandalorian armor, which we now know to have kind of religious import to them, should be a major plot point. I feel like that should be a thing that they want to chase him down and get rid of him for. Um, so if that happens, I'm cool with it. I'm, I'm here. I'm down for it. I think it's stupid and bad and wrong for all the reasons you just said. And it just, again, it's making the Star Wars universe feel smaller instead of bigger. Mm, exactly. Um, Prequel I know, syndrome. you know, we, we just got through kind of, you know, they got rid of the extended universe to give themselves room to breathe and room to create new content and room to tell different stories. And the more they bring in of the extended universe, the smaller it gets again. And it just kind of is disappointing because you don't need to have Boba Fett to have Temerara Morrison. You could still have him as yeah. literally any other clone trooper and have a really interesting story there about identity and meaning and everything else. You don't need Boba Fett. Um, and I know, I know I'm not a, you know, a voice of objectivity on this um, issue, but really, I'm. I hope they do something very clever with him mm, to justify so bringing do him back. Do we know anything about what happened? Sort of 
canonically to Boba Fett between the ending of Attack of the Clones and when we catch up with him in the original trilogy. But maybe with the show's whole thing about like foundlings and kids being sort of taken in by the Mandalorian creed, um, there'll be something, I don't know, is he jealous that he never got that? Did he start to become a Mandalorian and sack it off? That segues quite nicely into the fact that Katie Sackoff is playing Bo-Katan Kreese in, uh, yeah. in this as well. So she's been cast as well. I think I don't watch uh, Clone Wars slash Rebels, but I believe Bo-Katan is a Mandalorian. So mm-hmm. well, we should, uh, that we makes should because it, it sounds like Dave Filoni is beginning to merge these two shows together. And there's yeah. also news, yeah. rumours that Sabine Wren, who's a major character in Rebels, is going yes, to be showing up in Mandalorian as well in the live action styling. Yeah, she's a major Mandalorian character as well. So that would make sense. Mm. And Ahsoka, um, we think, is coming too. So Yeah. So it's like, these are all, I mean, I'm, again, I'm not objective. Katie Sackov has a pass for life as Starbuck. <sighs> yes, yeah, she does. And therefore, I am delighted to see her in any and everything. So I'm, I'm having trouble objecting. She has a pass for life in Starbucks. She has a pass for life because she played a character called Starbuck, singular, in the singular Battlestar Galactica. That makes much more sense. Which there were two of. Um, I could hear the eye rolling from Helen, especially (laughs) whenever this news broke on Twitter. But here's what I'm saying. Give this a chance, guys. Uh, we, We have two film appearances for Boba Fett. And obviously, they're the Boba Fett fanboys who absolutely love him and worship and, you know, and listen, I think he looks really cool and I love Slave One and it's all good. But as a character, we haven't really got to know him. When I say two movie appearances, obviously he was in Attack of the Clones as well. Uh, I forgot about that, despite, you know, my relationship with that film. But I think there's a chance that they might be able to flesh out his character in this one. I would be happier if they left well alone. But the entire first season of The Mandalorian proved us wrong and defied expectations and went left when it should have gone right. And I've got a sneaky suspicion that they, they might do the same with Boba Fett. So uh, fingers crossed in this one, you know, and you're right. He'll be more of a nemesis for Mando uh, and Baby Yoda. Oh, Ben, you haven't cooed over Baby Yoda for over a week now. Oh, How are you no. feeling? Yeah, no, it's, it's taken a toll on me. I feel like I need Baby Yoda back in my life. But that's some of the other good news this week because the Disney uh, CEO, Bob Chapek, probably said that horribly wrong, um, confirmed that there's no delay on The Mandalorian Season 2. He uh, was giving an update in an interview with CNBC talking about them reopening some of the parks and just the general impact of coronavirus on various arms of Disney. And he basically confirmed that anything that completely finished shooting um, is going to be absolutely fine. So anything that's in post-production, anything that's in pre-production, there might be bits of date switching around. But he said that Mandalorian was completely shot season two so completely on track for for october so my countdown my calendar counting down to the return of baby yoda is um is keeping me going (laughs) and and black widow will now be october as well it's come Mm -hmm. forward a week from its rescheduled november date so you know is that a good sign something is that i mean it's, it's a sign of maybe um confidence in cinemas reopening i guess yeah um it's hard to know what to make of it really it's only a week yeah, that that is. I I thought it was interesting, and also you know Chris Nolan, as we as things stand at the time of mm. recording, is still holding fast apparently with the idea of getting Tenet out in cinemas in July seven on July seventeenth or from July seventeenth. And this week it was announced as well that uh, a Russell Crowe movie called Unhinged, which is a kind of a road rage type thriller, uh, has been dated for cinemas for July first. So. And some cinemas have obviously reopened in the States, you know, because of 
various decisions that have been made over there by various people. Um, I don't know how that's gone down. I don't know what they're showing. I don't know how it's how people are, whether people are being socially distanced, whether people are wearing masks, whether they're wearing gloves, whether they're wiping stuff down, whether there's plastic partitions between seats now, which I think might help. But I don't know. Hmm. I think uh, I think actually it was an executive order because Donald Trump had spent so long waiting for the new mutants that he just had enough and he was like, that's it, we've got to open it, I need to see it. Uh, and so it's now coming out in August, so that's exciting. You can't see what can't be seen. <laughs> there, there was a suggestion on Twitter that it is the fact that the new mutants hasn't been released yet that has caused all of the upheavals in the world <laughs> and that if we can just see new mutants, that the world will somehow be restored to, to health and wealth and sanity um, in a way that we haven't seen for several years since it was first delayed. So fingers crossed, guys. I mean, the thing with that poster, with that, with that New Mutants poster, is it says in cinemas August, but it doesn't say which year, so they've probably got to get out clause, but it might be 2021. We'll wait and see. Time travellers now, movies will come back and they go, what year is it? Instead of saying who's the president, they'll go, is New Mutants out yet? <laughs> Um, so anyway, this is the news that New Mutants has got its fifth, I believe, official release date in cinemas. It's going to come out August 28th, 2020, all being well. Uh, so uh, oh, my it. feeling on this is that they they found it, that they had, they'd been missing a couple of reels and they finally found a couple of, they found, <laughs> found those reels or they've just realized it doesn't really matter. Uh, so if there's like 40 minutes missing from the movie, who's going to notice? That's it. People are going to be, you know, their glasses are going to be steamed up because of their masks. Nobody's going to notice. It's going to be, I've, listen, people are going to be too damned excited at the, the idea of getting to see new mutants in a cinema. It's going to be like a bacchanalian orgy in that place. No <laughs> one's going to be watching the film. Paramount, it comes out on August 28th, the day before Judgment Day. So, the <laughs> same. Just oh, same. Boy. New Mutants became self-aware at 12.17. <laughs> In a panic, they tried to pull the plug. <laughs> Again. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that wasn't the news that got us all very excited and hot under the collar. Helen, do you want to take it? Can I actually really know? Yeah, okay. of course. How does a bastard orphan son of a whore and a Scotsman get released on Disney Plus on July 3rd. That's right. Uh, Hamilton, the filmed version of the original cast on Broadway, I don't know if I've mentioned it before, but I, I actually saw it, um, is now being released on Disney Plus on July 3rd of this year. Um, so that's a full year before we thought it was going to happen. Mm. Um, and I have to see this as some attempt to redress the shit show that is 2020, given everything that's gone on so far, because... Disney have paid a lot of money for this, a lot of money for essentially a taped performance of a, of a Broadway show. $75, um, I heard. I think there was a million somewhere in there, Chris. I really think there a was. A million and what? $75. <laughs> <laughs> and they paid so Jim Carrey $7 million for it, is what I heard. <laughs> and he wasn't even in it, so that's a lot. Um but yeah, this is the original cast. So it's Lin-Manuel Miranda as Alexander Hamilton, who was this kid who came from nothing, um, absolute poverty, and became the first Treasury Secretary of the US of the United States of America after fighting in the War of Independence from the UK. That didn't and, impress me much. Well, I mean, imagine if he'd been Canadian. And then he <laughs> set up the entire American financial system, basically. He was an enormously important person. He was also uh, a crazy weirdo who wrote insane amounts, got in duels with people, um, and was actually killed in one by the then vice president. Spoiler! It's in the opening song. 
It's literally in the opening song. Also, it's history. Anyway, so, but it's an amazing, amazing story. It's an incredible musical. Um, and I don't know if I've ever mentioned it, but the original cast were really good. We've got people like David Diggs in there, Anthony Ramos, um, uh, Leslie Odom Jr., who have gone on to bigger things since. So this is an exciting opportunity to see them see, that's on the stage. Thing. I would argue they've gone on to different things, but bigger things? Is well, there a bigger thing than Hamilton? Is there bigger? Yeah. Well, we'll see when we see Snowpiercer in a couple of weeks for Debbie Diggs. I think Diggs. we all know the answer to that. Um, Leslie Odom Jr. I mean, Murder in the Orient Express. I mean, come on. Why are they all train things? This is weird. <laughs> this is very exciting to me because remember I said one of the reasons I didn't want to go and see Hamilton was I wanted to sit with the original cast and this gives mm. me that opportunity. I had been playing the Hamilton lottery religiously twice a week until the world ended and obviously then I stopped but mm. uh, now this means that finally since I'm never going to be able to leave Hamilton. my house again I can experience Hamilton with the original Broadway cast yeah now there was a bit of disappointment from some people who had planned to see this in the cinema and they're like mm, do I watch it on Disney Plus my advice on this one is the same as, as listening to the soundtrack I feel like this is not a musical that suffers from repetition or from seeing it more than once or from seeing it in a different format than maybe the stage. Uh, mm. I think it's just a phenomenal piece of of writing and music and art, and I don't think it needs live performance to come across. So I think you can watch it on TV and it will still be amazing. You can listen to the soundtrack first because it is so densely packed with information and history and you know most of it pretty much spot on history um, that it will not hurt if you listen to it in advance and you get to know the characters and the songs before you see them. I would go the other way. I know that you're a bit more of a purist about this. Well, I, I just think if you go in knowing the songs, you're going to wait for the songs. And also if you go in to see Hamilton and it's not the original cast and you have the original soundtrack rattling around in your head. So I've had this experience. So I went in, first time I saw Hamilton, I didn't know any of the songs. and I, I fell in love with it. I thought it was absolutely terrific. And then I went went home, same thing with Book of Mormon. And I went home and I got the, the uh, soundtrack and I listened to it religiously. And so now this, the voices I hear in my head are the original cast members and not mm -hmm. the people I saw initially. And then mm -hmm. you go back and see it again. So I've seen Book of Mormon since and I've seen... Hamilton since. And I find myself subconsciously going, David Diggs didn't do that. Or Josh <laughs> Gad didn't sing it like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that's that's dangerous for me. But that is something that I experienced even when I saw it on Broadway with the original cast, Chris. Um, <laughs> How much did you pay for that, Helen? 75 million, wasn't it? <laughs> it was about that, yeah. Um, no, I uh, because I was genuinely, the first 10 minutes of the show, I was like, well, that's slightly different to the soundtrack album, actually. They've, they've yeah. slightly, the, the timing is a little bit different there. But after literally 10 minutes max, I was in it and stayed in it for the rest of the show. But I'm show. listening to the original soundtrack whilst watching the show. So I have one ear <laughs> listening to the soundtrack and one ear listening to the main show so I can compare. I can make absolute wow. comparisons. And if someone's a little bit off on stage, I yell, you're pitchy! <laughs> you're pitchy! <laughs> you are throwing away your shot! That's what I shout <laughs> quite a bit. Anyway, Hamilton is phenomenal. I'll be fascinated to see when slash if this is over and theatre returns and people go back to, you know, they start performing Hamilton here and, and New York and all around the world. Um, I'll be fascinated to see whether this has an impact on people going to see it. I still think this might have, um, Disney might still release it in theatres next year. I can I can mm. still imagine that happening at some point just because it's such a huge investment that I think it's possible at least that they'll do at the very least some shows of it in future. So fingers crossed, if you do want to see it on the big screen, I don't think this is mm. necessarily the end of those hopes. 
Also, I'm not one for watching these streamed slash filmed versions of theatrical productions, so I don't know what the camera work's going to be like. Is it just going to be simply very static, uh, whereas presented almost like a theatrical? They tend to have a bit of movement, and it doesn't tend to be obviously tracking shots very much, although you get a, a couple of, um, not crane shots, what do you call it when they're on wires? Are those still crane shots? Anyway, you get sometimes some of those, uh, but it tends to be a little bit more uh, cutting between you know full stage and then close-ups. It can be weird, actually. Like It's a very different experience. I saw Frankenstein on stage with, I think, Benedict Cumberbatch and, and then Johnny Lee Miller as the monster when I saw it on, you know, NT Live. And it's really different because you get more close-ups. So I was kind of coming away going, oh, he was a much more empathic monster. But that's just because I could see his face a bit better. Mm. So <laughs> If you pause it just right, you can see his penis. I didn't, I didn't pause it, just oh, FYI. Okay. I've got the the Les Mis anniversary stage production, obviously my favorite yeah. musical of all time. Uh, oh which yeah, I was, was there. Yeah, of course you were, of course you were. Um, <laughs> with the original Broadway cast sort of reunited, but that's an odd one because they don't actually show you the proper production of the musical. It's just them mm. all standing in a line in front of microphones. So it's a little bit flat visually. It still sounds great, but it is a yeah. bit flat visually. I hope that's what they've done with Hamilton. <laughs> yeah, they just stand there. Disney yeah. paid 75 mil sight on scene and then they get it. It's just... People standing in front of microphones and they're like, is this? Fuck it, stick it on Disney Plus, no one gives a shit. To be fair, <laughs> they did that in performances you can see on YouTube of them performing in the White House and it is literally just them standing in there with microphones and it is still incredible and it'll probably it's make you amazing. cry. Yeah. Them singing one last yeah. time to Obama as he's sort of about oh to leave God. office and oh. everyone's crying. Oh, Amazing. Falling down the Hamilton Hole, you, if you've seen the things that they used to do back in the day when uh, they used to stand outside the, uh, the, they used to appear outside the Richard Rogers Theatre in New York and perform little bits and pieces like lip sync along to the show for the, for the fans who were gathered out there. And there's an amazing one where um, it's the three main actors who were famous for playing King George. So you have Jonathan Groff, you have Brian Darcy James, who was King George in the workshop version and then couldn't do the, the main play. Uh, then you have Jonathan Groff, who obviously made it famous. And then you have one other <laughs> one other actor. No, I'm forgetting as well. Uh, I'm forgetting as well, but they, they come out and they don't lip sync any of King George's songs. They lip sync the Skyler Sisters, um, which is yes. just <laughs> tremendous. So seek that out if you're a Hamilton fan. And if you're not a Hamilton fan, then listen to the, watch it on Disney Plus. You will become a Hamilton fan. Um, but maybe just don't listen to the soundtrack before you see the live show. That's all I'm saying. All I'm saying. Yeah. But anyway. There, it was also one of those ham for hams was, I think, a Les Mis crossover, which James might even oh, really? like. So, yeah, I'm just trying to remember which one. I'll send you the link, James. But there was a ham for ham Les Mis crossover. That sounds amazing. Did you see the um, the BBC thing? I don't know if we talked about it in this podcast before. You know that family that did a one day more cover thing based on lockdown, a Les Mis lockdown mm -hmm cover riff it was delightful i enjoyed that a lot oh yes i did see they were incredible very very good i found the third person i found the third skylar sister uh it was andrew <laughs> runnell's yes of course from book, from of, book mormon. of mormon originally. yes yes so uh check that out one of the ham for hams on twitter but anyway enough hamilton chat this isn't the hamilton podcast you mothers 
This is, uh, what's it called? The Empire Podcast. Uh, so Mike Flanagan, who is a massive Stephen King fan, is directing Stephen King's Revival, which is a really good, one of those kind of faster paced, gnarlier Stephen King books, uh, really dark. Uh, so he's going to direct that. Reese Witherspoon's going to star in two rom-coms that are going to be produced and shown on Netflix, Your Place or Mine and The Cactus. Kate Blanchett's going to star in Adam McKay's Don't Look Up, which is also a Netflix movie. Um, mm-hmm. There is a star-studded audio series version of The Sandman coming uh, in July. That is exciting. Uh, and that has an incredible cast. Mm. So we have uh, the likes of James McAvoy, we have Taron Edgerton, we have Kat Dennings, we have Michael Sheen, we have our very own Kim Newman playing himself. Because Amazing. Kim Newman is a character in Neil Gaiman's The Sandman. Only briefly, yeah. mind you, but yeah. still. Riz Ahmed as well. Samantha Morton. It's going to be great. Uh, so this is yeah. an audio series. It's going to be launching on Audible in July from July 15th, I believe. Um, so check it out. This should tide us over for a while because obviously Neil Gaiman is, is working on producing the, the adaptation of the TV series of this, which is on hiatus while we're in lockdown. So yeah, this will keep mm. people going until that finally makes its way to the screens. But given the cast on this, it's now going to feel a little bit like they've got some big announcements they're going to have to make to make this TV show get some mm. headlines after this because I want to see this cast do it. I don't know if, uh, like, I love James McAvoy and I think he'd be great at this. Um, and I'm incredibly, incredibly jealous of his geek credentials because, mm-hmm. like, I was just saying on Twitter this week, but he's been to June, he's been to Arrakis, he's been to Narnia. Um, he is a massive nerd and I feel like he's living out his nerd dreams. <laughs> Sandman, Professor X. Yeah, I mean, seriously. Um, Start materials. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, this is really good casting, but um, I'm not sure he's tall enough to play Morpheus in general. I feel like he has to be a lankier actor um, in general. And and the actual perfect casting for Morpheus is Tom Hiddleston's character in Only Lovers Left Alive. That is 100% the, the energy that, that dreams should have. And I feel like they're going to have some trouble finding that. I had Chalamet. Chalamet. Someone asked me to immediately say someone for Morpheus, and that was the yep. first name that came to mind. Yeah. And I, I'm standing by that. Mm, he does. He does have the hair. Yeah. Or, yeah. In fact, Morpheus has modelled his hair on Timmy Chalamet. I think that's <laughs> that's how it worked out there. But yeah, also very, he's very like exciting. totally dreamy. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there. Well Thank done. Thank you. Thank um, you. Also, some sad mm. news this week. Uh, we, we lost Jerry Stiller, the great Jerry Stiller, uh, at the age of ninety-two. So a ripe old innings. Um, and he, of course, is Ben Stiller's father. Uh, Anne Mira, who passed away a few years ago, was Ben Stiller's mother. They were a, a great comedy double act, uh, of mm-hmm. course. But I think people will know Jerry Stiller best for Seinfeld, where he played George Costanza's dad. And for me, for my money, Sulander, where he played Maury Ballstein, mm-hmm. uh, Balls Models. Uh, and you know, one of his lines from that, I say a lot, which is, <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. And he's just <laughs> a great, he was so, so funny and uh, very, very sad indeed. Yeah. And there was some some lovely tributes and Ben was really great mm-hmm. on Twitter this week about about uh, his dad and his mum. It was really lovely. I, I first became for him in Hairspray, in the John Warder's Hairspray, where he was Divine's husband. Um, and he's great in that. It's a very small role, but he's just so lovely in it. And yeah, with the I have to say the New York Times obituary for him absolutely reduced me to tears. He and his wife did a comedy skit about obituaries and he was joking about his Times obituary a few years ago in this skit. And uh 
you know, was you know saying that he hoped they got the they they'd kept it updated and and included his work opposite I think Veronica Lake in Peter Pan, which was about sixty years ago, and basically then fretted at the end of the interview that this would mean he didn't get a good obituary, um, and he did, and it's lovely. So if you haven't read it, read that one. Yeah, the, the last line is he needn't have worried. Oh, it's it just just, uh, just killed a, me. A lovely last line. Uh, so yes, indeed, the great Jerry Stiller who passed away this week at the age of ninety-two. But in some happier news, today, when we're recording this, is Thursday, and that means it is New Empire Day. Hooray! And there was much rejoicing throughout the land, for that means a new issue of the world's greatest film magazine is here. It is fantastic, and I urge you to buy it. I don't have a copy, so I'm just guessing, (laughs) but there are good things inside the issue. on the cover this this month, we've gone a bit conceptual, uh, a bit like Magatu, if you will, <laughs> and Zoolander. Um, we've been taking. Well, we are derelict. <laughs> yes, <laughs> on the cover is Derek Zoolander. <laughs> no, no, of course not. Uh, on the cover, it's a celebration of cinema. So we've gone all in. We have chosen some of our favourite actors and directors and films, and we've celebrated the hell out of them. Uh, some amazing things in this month's issue. We have uh, great profiles on Barry. Jenkins. Uh, I was fortunate enough this month to speak to Steve Martin and Martin Short at oh the same time for a wow. big old feature about their enduring friendship, which is now in its 34th year, roughly, give or take. And of course, they're doing this wonderful show. You can see them on their show on Netflix, but uh, they'll be bringing their live show back to the UK all being well once this uh, pandemic is over. What else is in there? James Cameron. Got James Cameron on his James four Cameron. most iconic film sequences, talking bits from Aliens and T2 and Titanic and Avatar. There's uh, Sophia Coppola and Kirsten Dunst talking about their 22-year partnership from Virgin Suicides, Marie Antoinette, Beguiled, um, and them sort of catching up with each other about what they're doing now. I think Kirsten Dunst is in New Zealand working on a, um, a Jane Campion project, and Sophia Coppola is talking about the film that she finished just before uh, lockdown kicked in. There's a Q&A with Werner Herzog in John's section. In which he, yeah, he, he reveals that his plan for the pandemic is to stay at home and starve the fucker, which is, <laughs> is something you can imagine saying in The Mandalorian. Yeah. Oh, I love you know, When I get my hands on that baby, I'm going to starve the fucker. No. <laughs> The thing I'm most excited to read, which I have not yet read, is 25-year anniversary of Clueless, um, one of the all-time great films. And I am very much looking forward to hearing from uh, Alicia Silverstone and Amy Heckerling, I believe, on that. Yarp. Uh, yeah, there's loads of great Ooh, stuff. And June is in there as well. Yeah, first look at June. You may have seen Josh Brolin and uh, Timmy Two Meets share some of the pictures we have in the, in the new issue this week uh, on their socials. And uh, we've got first looks at all sorts of other stuff as, uh, as well. In my section, there are things I can't even remember, but it's really good. And uh, we've got Sam Mendes and Christy Wilson Cairns talk about 1917 and other stuff. <laughs> I don't have a physical copy of the issue, so uh, but trust me, it's really, really great, and subscribers will know that they get a fantastic sub- subscribers cover, which is illustrated by the wonderful Bill McGonkey. So that is a really cracking issue. It's on sale now in all good, evil, and virtual digital news agents as well. I'm not sure virtual news agents is a thing yet, but digital news agents definitely is, and uh, are is our 
and uh, you can pick it up there. And of course, subscribers get this delivered to the door every single month on the dot, give or take. And at the moment, there is a cracking offer. You, If you subscribe now, new subscribers, of course, this offer closes on the 1st of June, so you only have a couple of weeks. It is three issues for £5, and Helen will come around to your house and live with you for a week no, as well. No, Chris, as-, as your lawyer, no, that's not going to happen. Okay, Helen's not going to live with you, but she will commute from her own no, home again, to no, your home. No commuting. No. Mm-mm. I mean, you got to give us something here, Helen. I, I, really, I literally don't. I literally don't. All right. Okay. You be like that. You <laughs> be like that. Right. Okay. So that's on sale right now. And it is a fantastic, fantastic issue. And again, it's been produced by the team entirely remotely, entirely from home. It is a real real labor of love and we would really really love you to buy uh, an issue this month and subscribe if you can and of course uh, if you love the podcast also subscribe to our spoiler special subscription channel to get to that go to glow.fm forward slash empire film or go to my twitter page at chris hewitt uh, and check out the details in my pinned tweet all right, now the massive big old plug for the magazine and the uh, spoiler specials uh, is over. Let's have a guest. Hooray! And this guest Yay. is the wonderful Michael Smiley, uh, the great Northern Irish actor who's shot to fame as tires in Edgar Wright, Simon Pegg and Jessica Stevenson, now Heinz. Uh, wonderful sitcom, Spaced. Since then, he's going to become a staple of Ben Wheatley's casts uh, in pretty much, well, Many, many movies that Ben Whitley has made, including, of course, Kill List, A Field in England and Free Fire. Uh, And he is wonderful as the bad guy in the uh, very quirky, very fun, very enjoyable, very gory horror thriller Come to Daddy, starring opposite Elijah Wood. And in that movie, he gets to say a line which, for my money, is the best line of the year so far. I won't say it here. You'll have to listen to the interview as we do a deep dive into that line, how he delivered it, and then we talk about his career as well. This is the first interview we record with an actor, Fire Squad cast, so we were still feeling our way through it. Um, So there might be some sound glitches here and there, but hopefully there won't be too many. And it was recorded a few weeks ago, which is why we talk about Good Friday. (laughs) Here we are, two Northern Irish people having a Good Friday agreement. Enjoy. We're delighted to be joined after much technical fucking around by the star of Come to Daddy, Michael Smiley. How are you, sir? I'm very well. I'm very well. How are you? Um, I'm all right. So you were sweating, you were sweating a bit there, but it's fine. It's fine. I think we're, we're all novices, really, when it comes to this now, isn't it? It's, I think what's one of the things that is linking everybody in lockdown is that we're all new to this. Yeah, it'll all be fine. Have a bit of patience. Yeah, uh, thank, thanks for being so patient, by the way, especially on Good Friday. This is this is one of the things, whenever whenever we set this up, I didn't realize that I was going to be impinging on your Easter holiday to such an extent. So apologies for that. Oh, don't worry about it. I've um, I've got my uh, Easter bunny up on the hot cross bun as we speak. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, how are you handling lockdown life? Um, better, better um, with Eve every day. I think, you know, um, the first week, I probably didn't realize that I was um, full of fear and claustrophobia and that sense of losing your liberty. You know, I've got, I know people who have been to prison, for example, and the big thing was losing your liberty, not being able to get up and go to the kitchen, for example, was a, a big deal for them. So not being able to leave the house 
and being stuck in the house with your family who you love um, mm. was a struggle at the start. And then we all just sort of found our own little way and tried to be kind and try not to get up in each other's grill too much. And it seems to be working. Yes. You know, I'm blessed that we've got enough rooms that my wife can go to her office, my son can go to his room, my daughter can go to her room, or commandeer the bed, the living room as she wants to. And I find myself up here in um, our bedroom, which is good. You know, right. I, I bought a uh, indoor roller so I can um, ride my bicycle indoors. Yeah, it's a, one of those, it's a roller. So there's like three rollers that you place the bike on. So you've got to keep a cadence up and you've got to uh, stay upright. So it's like learning to ride again on ice. I've done nothing physical whatsoever. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a podcaster. I lead, I lead a sedentary lifestyle at the best of times. And my wife, she's properly getting back into things like T25 and Jillian Michaels workouts and Joe Wicks workouts. And every day she'll, she'll, you know, when we wake up, she goes, come and do a workout with me. And I go, no, no, fuck that. But I, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. I'm really packing on the pounds here. It's not good. I need one of those things. Yeah, well, I think for me as well, I, um, like I've always been a big fan of cycling. Um, I used to be a bike messenger mm-hmm. for 10 years and all that, you know. So um, I, I get a lot of spiritual um, love from the bike. But, um, and then I, I sort of drifted away from it over the past year, year and a half, and hit okay. myself deep down inside, hit myself as the muffin tops arrive and the moobs arrive. Mm-hmm. And, and I, you know. <laughs> I don't want to be like your man from fucking MasterChef walking around a place with a, a 55-year-old head and a 35-year-old body. That looks, just looks a bit creepy. But I want to be a man in the 50s who uh, it looks all right and feels okay. So slowly but surely, because weirdly because of this lockdown, I just thought maybe I want to cycle again. So then I got these rollers, and, and now I love it. I'm back, and I'm back, and I feel myself – I'm writing as well, so I feel myself being more – the head's opening up more. So maybe even if you just do a little bit of an exercise, you'll, you'll find it, you know, the serotonin and the endorphins that are waiting for you. It's mad. It's, it's, it's not mad, but it's really interesting that you're, you know, that you are proper, properly into cycling as well, because, you know, do you still get, and when you're on the streets of London, not at the moment, obviously, but do you get people still shouting tires out at you after, after you, as you ride past, or are you like the wind? You're just gone before they clock you. Well, it's most like the, just the tires recognition thing is, is the weirdest of the lot. Cause it was such a boutique series. And, and it's one of those ones that's grown over the, over the decades, you know, and it's, um, there's a generation out there now who are, you know, married with kids and, you know, ball deep in a mortgage who would be the ones who look at me and go, oh, man, I love you in space. And it's like 20 years ago, more than 20 years ago nearly, you know, and yet it's this thing I get recognized most for. And it's the the part that I look the least like, apart from Jethro. I think Jethro and, um, and Tyres, you know, I, yeah. You know, um, are the ones that look least like me. You know, uh, Jethro, of course, is uh, the the chief villain. I'm going to say, and in, in come to daddy, which is, is it's been out for, it's been out for a, a couple of weeks now on on uh, on HD yeah. on digital wherever wherever you download your films. Um, and it's a tremendous film. I mean, it's I, I thought it was fantastic, and I wanted to talk to you uh, talk about one line in particular. Um, my username in this little chat we have here is Michael Heseltine, yeah. um, because there's a line in this movie that I think is the line of the year so far, uh, which is I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna read it out very very cold, just so that the, the listeners at home can understand 
but Michael really brings his line to life. I fucked her. I fucked her in an abandoned factory, to be precise, but I lost my erection because from certain angles, she reminded me of Michael Heseltine. <laughs> now, that's, that is a fucking mic drop of a line. That is, that is gold. That is poetry. <laughs> Where did that come from? It came off the script. Yeah, I didn't improvise that. I'd love to claim that I improvised that. I've improvised some stuff in the past that, that I'm proud of and I've kept my mouth shut about. But if I had have improvised that, <laughs> I'd have fucking told you. Don't you worry about that. But I um, <laughs> know uh, that was written. That was written. And when I read the script and that popped up, I'd done exactly what you did. I just pissed myself laughing. There's everything about that film is so quirky and weird and of its own uh, rhythm and of its own timeline and their own characters and it's one of the um, most off-kilter um, scripts I ever read and then yeah. and to play that character to be you know if you're going to be in a weird strange interesting uh, funny scary film and you play a weird funny interesting scary guy in the film it's a gift mm-hmm. a gift from heaven you know and I just came yeah. out of nowhere. I got a phone call. And, you know, uh, I know Ant from Three Ben Wheatley. Mm-hmm. They're big mates. And um, I'm obviously a massive fan of Elijah. I've always been, I've always really liked what I see of him, you know. I like his attitude towards his post, you know, um, career is what we know him from, you know what I mean? Um, mm. He always wants to do interesting indie stuff. Or just interesting, interesting stories and interesting scripts, and I'm I'm like that myself. I'm not on his level, but I like that myself. You know, anything that's interesting. Mm. So I just jumped at the chance. You know, and it was great. It was a lot of night shoots. You know, for that reason, um, those those situations can be a bit of a, a strain on working relationships. As you know, like it was, we were in Vancouver Island, right on the west of the west of Canada. Um, so the sort of night shoots and my jet lag really melded okay together. They actually the the fused as opposed to banging against each other, you know. Um, and it, it was just a beautiful um, experience. Everybody got on really well. I got um, a really lovely insight in watching a Canadian crew and a, um, a New Zealand crew. The Canadians and the Kiwis working together uh, were fantastic, absolutely fantastic, so professional, so bang on it. So, um, you know, very precious about their own departments because they're, they're, they're skilled craftsmen, you know, they're artists in their own right, as they see it. So I was enjoying that, watching a behind-the-camera action, you know. It was great. I guess that actually factors in really nicely to, to Jethro and to how you play him because he's, he's like the movie itself. He's very off-kilter. He's, yeah. The minute he arrives, this movie, which has been taking 90-degree shifts constantly, takes another lurch. And I imagine if you know if you're playing them in night shoots and your jet lags playing havoc with your with yourself as well, that that must help a great deal. Yeah, and it's also I think you know because you know as an actor you can get really stressed out about and fearful of um, you know I'm not going to do this right. I'm, is my, am I pitching this the right way? You know, and we had lots of chats beforehand, and you know they showed me how they wanted them to look, and I had just done another job called Death and Nightingales in Northern Ireland and they'd made mm-hmm. these teeth for me and right. um, and of course if you make a whole new set of teeth they only fit me so I 
they let me keep them. So I brought them to Canada with me, and they gave me the whole Jethro outfit and say, "What do you think?" And I went, "Okay," and I put it on, and then I put it, turned my back and put the teeth in and spun around and went, "What do you reckon?" And it was like, "Fuck, there's Jethro." <laughs> and, you know, Judy Dench might start with the shoes, darling. I always start with the teeth. <laughs> the teeth and the and the accent as well. I mean, you know, listen, uh, it is a delight to hear Northern Irish accents uh, on the big screen and, yes. and the small screen and just anywhere, really. You know, uh, my accent's going to get progressively thicker as as we talk uh, for, 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 for for a few more minutes. Where but from? Um, I'm from Banbridge. Oh, lovely, County Down. Yeah. Same as myself, we're both diners. Indeed, we are indeed. Uh, Banbridge tends to be the place people drive past on the way to Belfast. <laughs> <laughs> but we, but we've got ourselves we've got ourselves a lovely outlet centre now, so people stop off and they, you know, oh, they get to experience the outskirts of Banbridge. They don't oh. really get the to, to go into town itself. But uh, you know, is it important for you? I, I, I don't know from from an acting point of view to to use your own accent as much as you as uh, use possible as much as you possibly can. Yeah, I think so. I, I really think so. I think we're at a we should be at a time when um, how you speak, as long as if it's the English, if it's an English language uh, production, then you should be able to bring any form of the English language to it. You know, it does, and a lot of parts it doesn't matter. What you've got to bring mm-hmm. is a, a sense of believability to it, uh, uh, and be the be the character. You know, and and you know, be of service to the script and tell the story. And mm. do those things. And if you're busy sort of trying to stay, you know, with this accent, you've changed the accent. I feel like it can be a bit of a trick bag. It's like showing the world, look how clever I am as an actor. Look at me doing this accent. So it's it's less like, oh, there's Michael Smiley playing Jethro, uh, you know, you, with an American accent. What you should be going is, God, that I would fucking believe Jethro. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, um, Anything that's sort of, for me, anything that um, creates any distance between you and the truth as you're trying to get it across on the screen can be a bit mm. of a hassle. And it's a bit of rubbing your belly, patting your head. Some people are really good at it. And I can do it socially and I can train. And, you know, if you want me to do an American accent, give me a couple of weeks and I'll get one for you. But I'll be mm. more concerned about the American accent than I will be about the performance. Yeah. You know? I think I'd be one of those blokes that would have to turn up two weeks in advance and walk around, stay in character and get all fucking moody and method about it. Because I think part of the the reason that people stay in character is because they don't want to forget, you know, how did I play him again? You know, when you do, if you do pickups later on down the line and you go, oh, fuck, God, how did yeah. I play him? <laughs> or like if you're allowed to improvise too much and then you've got ADR, you know, we have to go to the studio and do additional dialogue recording. And you go, oh, why did I not just stick to the fucking script? Now I've got to put all those extra little pops and clicks and, you know, into it. And that could be, you just literally go and see this. That's what you get for showing off, you prick. <laughs> can, can you imagine Meryl Streep going to a, like an ADR session? It's like, I have no idea what the fuck that accent was. It's what? been two years since I shot this movie. Who could anybody bring in my prosthetic nose? Thank God I always work with the nose that I've got. You know, it's, it's taken me a while to fashion this thing. This bad boy has, has, has accompanied me on many missions. He's <laughs> got the middle of Fowler a couple, oh, like, couple of times. It's a definitely, I could show you my the, my the east wing of my house. It's just my nose and then just loads of little commendations beside it. 
yeah, for years, I just used to think that any awards that I got was for my beard and my nose. I remember did, uh, Edgar Wright did these, um, do you remember uh, Quentin Tarantino did these Grindhouse? Remember there was the Grindhouse series? Of, mm-hmm. they did, mm-hmm. And then he'd got various uh, directors, up-and-coming directors or friends of his to um, do little trailers, spoof trailers between the Grindhouse, um, the two films. Mm. So I was asked to do one called Don't, which yes. is, um, and Simon Pegg was in it, Nick Frost playing a baby. And um, I think Red Spall was in it as well. There's quite a few in that trailer. I was in makeup for four hours. They gave me uh, a new wig. They gave me a four, new forehead, cheekbones, new teeth, new um, put uh, white contacts in. They put on a fresh beard. They'd done everything apart from ju- all they did was give my nose a light dusting. I had a whole new face, and all I brought to the game was this fucking nose. <laughs> you know, this nose has been broke seven times, right? And right. I had never once in a library, just to um, let you know. But <laughs> it's been broke seven times. So I'm only firing out of one, one cylinder at all times. Listen, what do you hear? <laughs> right. Okay. So if I do this, if I do this, if I move my cheeks slightly on the right hand side, uh-huh. I get. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. So I thought, and being a keen cyclist, you know what I mean. If you're cycling up in the hills and it's really hot, and you're hyperventilating and all your, you're only breathing out of your out of your mouth, it can be really distressing. So I thought, I know what I'll do. If I get a good job, I'm going to get my nose done. I'm going to get my nose fixed. Right. Right. I, I spoke to my agent about it. I said, I'm thinking about getting my nose fixed. And what I meant was I'm thinking of getting the you know, both nostrils, air to come out of both nostrils, right? Yeah, yeah. There was a – talk about a fucking pregnant silence. <laughs> I thought – I was going, are you still there? Are you still – just there was fucking silence. Well, here's the thing, like, to Lon, Lon Chaney was a man of a thousand faces. You're the man of one nose. Yes. I think that's... And, you know, we could thank God for makeup departments, you know, they can, they've got something to play with. You know, I turn up and they just sort of look at you and go, yeah, let's just go with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and obviously you've worked a whole number of times now with, with, with Ben Wheatley, and I've been lucky enough to be on set of a few of those, I think, Uh you know, we were. I was on set of Free Fire, uh, for example, yeah. most recently. Oh, and fantastic. you know, watching. I mean, it was just it was a, it was a <laughs> it was mad watching him work on a on a scale like that. Um, even though it was you know yeah. essentially single location, but uh, it's just fascinating watching Ben work. You know how he has a shorthand with Laurie Rose, and how you know, just how he works with with actors. And um, did you two click yeah. right away? Was it was it something that just went like that for you? I'd like to think so. Um... I think you'd have to ask him about that. But for me, I um, you know, I worked with Ben on a thing called The Wrong Door, which was like a CGI sketch show for the BBC. And we had this sort of episode-long sketch called The Train Pirates with Brian Blessed. And it was just fucking mental. But, um, but when he wrote um, Down Terrace, he wrote Pringle, that, what made that amazing for me was I'd just come off doing a uh, two TV series, which was very much, you know, there's your mark, there's your sausage on the grind, hit that on that word, turn and save, you know, send the line to the other actor who's then going to look, you know, everything had that sort of 
strike quite rigid significance. And, you know, I don't have that discipline in me, so I have to really work hard to stay disciplined like that. And then I worry that it's going to affect my performance because I'm going to, am I looking rigid as, as I feel, as rigid as I feel? Am I looking that way? That's weird. You know, you're, now I'm splitting my thinking. Now I'm not really in the room, all of that. So I'm trying to keep that fucker down, you know, keep the lid on him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, the first day filming on Down Terrace, like my, I only had one day on Down Terrace. We started shooting at about 8 o'clock in the morning and I was on the half night train back to London that night after shooting everything. Uh, I think I did like 20 scenes in a row. But they all flowed into each other, you know? They just, yeah. flo- they just, they just flowed into each other. And it, it started chronologically. So when the doorbell rings, I'm standing there with the pram. I come in. The whole thing is, you know. Uh, so I was like, where do I stand? And he was going to be, look, listen, what we need to, what you need to know is we can't let the ball drop because we've only got a certain amount of time to shoot each scene. So if it looks like it fucks up or just keep going, just keep going and, and just try and keep the ball in the air. So, wow. you know, you can do approximation of the script. What I really want is you to say that if you can hit there, turn there and get out. And I went, Okay. So there's no marks. He's, no, no, don't worry about the marks. Laurie will find you. So Laurie will go wherever you go. To know that the um, script, the character was written for me, not for an actor that was written for me, uh, just like Taj was, you know. So yeah, yeah, yeah. then yeah. all of a sudden I'm going, well, fuck, this suit fits perfectly. I can take it anywhere. Anything, I, Any ch- choices I make are legitimate choices. So and instantly I'm freed up now, you know. Because a lot of television parts you go up for, you know, you'll you'll be up for that part because they couldn't fucking afford, I don't know, Jimmy Nesbitt or fucking Stephen Mangan or something, you know. So, so it's it's like an off the peg suit that eventually they tailor to whoever an, a actor gets, you know. So yeah, yeah, yeah. But for this for this to be for Michael Smiley, um, so I was able to run, and it really brought all. That's where my, my I think the trust came and his anarchic attitude towards stuff. I just really loved his really dark sense of humor chimed with my dark Northern Irish sense of humor. Uh, we just find each other hilarious. Uh, you know, and just that team of Andy Stark and, you know, Laurie Rose and Rob and Twistle on sound, you know, it, it was just, you know, I, you know, I fell in love with them. And I'm still in love with them. And Nick Gillespie, you know, the second camera guy, um, who I'm now making films with as well, you know. So we're all like, we're all sort of mushroom, you know. And every time Ben would call, it would be, it'd be like fucking the Magnificent Seven. He was getting, or the Blues Brothers, he was getting <laughs> the band back together again. So literally, would go high and you go, yeah, man, whatever it is, I'm, yes, I'll do it. Uh, we had Reese uh, Shearsmith on the podcast a, yeah. a few years ago, and I had to ask him about Field in England. I had to ask him about that moment where yeah. he emerges from the tent with that expression on his face. What are your What are your memories of, of that? Of, of of not just that film, but that scene in particular. Well, that scene in particular, a couple of things I remember was we were inside the tent, and there was a few sort of options of what we were going to do. Like there was, um, I had runes inside the tent and it under that underlit the, the table to make the runes glow and you know there was 
the, there was stuff like that was being played about with him. Uh, what I know of Ben is he likes to keep it as simple as possible and mm. not try and make it too much on the nose. Uh, a lot of it, a lot of your fear, a lot of the frightening stuff in um, his productions are all in your mind, you know. Um, so I know he doesn't really want to do it on the nose too much. So those options were there. I'm standing in a tent with Reese. And I says, what are you going to do? <laughs> and he says, oh, I've got a few wee ideas. And uh, he sort of done a face. And I, I fucking pissed myself laughing. So, you know, I had to reset. You can hear us <laughs> laughing inside the tent, you know. Um, and then the next bit that, that kept fucking up was my fault, was I had to keep the rope taut from the moment he walks out of the tent. You know, so that, was, that in itself was a hard thing to keep it, wrap it up, wrap it up and hold it so, and then let it out so that it's let him take the weight and then, you know, otherwise it looks a bit weird if it's if it, if the, the rope's um, drooping, you know. It's like he's pulling himself away or he's, or he's trying to get away from this malevolent force. So the those um, actually physical things is what I really remember of it. And then coming out of the tent behind him and seeing the other actors looking up at Reese's choice <laughs> was also fucking go- gorgeous as well. You know, like you're looking nearly backstage as the actor walks out and the audience is there, is the crew and the other actors welcoming him, him and his choice was uh, another a uh, beautiful little moment for me as well. Ben shot high rise in Bangor. I know in Northern Ireland. I know. What the fuck? Why? Why weren't you in that? What happened? Was there bad blood there? What happened? Don't fucking get me started about that. You've just you've you've tickled the undercarriage there, haven't you? Yeah. You know, <laughs> the thing was, he shot it in Bangor. Now did he shoot it in fucking Bangor? Because I'm from Hollywood, so that's down the road. Yeah. But also, yeah. he shot it in Bangor Bass, where I learned to swim. <laughs> I used to go there every Saturday. And where all the rockers chased the mods and the rude boys up that fucking hill, and the police had to hold it back while out waiting for the Hollywood train to come to come in. I had so many memories of that place. <laughs> and then goes to shoot some banger. I had to give him recommendations of places to eat. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And they shot over the twelfth, which was hilarious. You know, there's loads of English people being over there during the, the 11th and, the, and the, the marching season going, there's a lot of barbecues in this area. You know, a lot of drumming. Yeah. Why are the streets colour-coded? Yeah. What, 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 is a, yeah. What, what does curbs mean? Yeah, exactly. I used to, any time any, any English person ever asked me that, why the streets painted so many different colours, I say, so you know you fucking stand. <laughs> you know, what about the six county people aren't very subtle when it comes to telling you who they are or where they are, you know. If you have a fucking catchphrase that says no, <laughs> there's a good chance that these people <laughs> do not beat around the bush. Well, Michael, I'm, I'm going to let you go uh, back to your, your Good Friday, your, your Easter weekend. Um, but very, very quickly, what's your Easter egg game? Do you have one or are you just too focused on the fitness now? Oh, no, I love, I love chocolate. Uh, Oh, you know, I just love chocolate. I love a good chocolate, you know. I love, uh, if you were thinking of sending me anything to the post, uh, any of the listeners out there, you know, like that green and black's uh, butterscotch is just, you know, I would just, I would I would smear that on myself and then just scrape it off with a lollipop stick, you know what I mean? <laughs> I'd love to try and get enough 
soft chocolate to turn myself into an Easter bunny, maybe with like a um, maybe with a bog brush up my arse uh, and a couple of false ears and just cover myself with butterscotch chocolate. I hope that answers your question. Uh, more than answers it, in fact. And it, it, in fact, you've inspired my next burst of fan fiction as well. So thanks for that. <laughs> Michael Smiley is the Easter Bunny and a sort of Easter Bunny human centipede kind of crossover. I can, I can see this happening. <laughs> but this man, it's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, thanks very much. Enjoy your green and blacks. Yeah, God bless. Thanks very much. Okay, so that was Michael Smiley. And just very, very quickly, of course, it is now time for the Celebrate Our Cinemas part of the podcast. And uh, this is the part of the show in which we, we give shout outs to cinemas around the world that are struggling in this unprecedented crisis uh, that, have, that have closed. And we're asking you to uh, contribute however you can. Uh, so... All right, so the first one comes from at LionBen1885 on Twitter, and he wants to give a shout-out to the Catford Muse in southeast London. It's a great little local cinema chain that apparently had just started to get on its feet when COVID-19 hit. Uh, they've got three lovely screens, a nice bar, local food vendors there. They've got an independent community feel to the whole place. They can still be supported by buying memberships, and they offer a discount to NHS workers Catford-Muse, M-E-W-S, at co.uk. It's quite quite near us, Chris. Uh, is it? Yeah. My London geography is terrible. No, it's not too bad. Oh, isn't near you, Ben? Yeah, it's kind of. I think it's sort of down and across, sort of in the middle from both of us. Okay, excellent. Equidistant between all three of us. Excellent. Not bad. <laughs> um, next one comes from <laughs> a Twitter user known simply as Scree. Scree on Twitter. Could you please mention the Savoy Theatre in Hamburg, Germany? They're the only cinema for undubbed English-speaking movies in our beautiful city. They also show the National Theatre streams. They have a sneak preview night and night for classic movies. Uh, they have a lovely house and staff. No link there, but the full name for the cinema is Savoy Kino, K-I-N-O, Hamburg. And uh, last week, we I said we can also plug movie festivals also. Uh, so uh, Sneaky Monday FRA has written in to say that the Nippon Connection Festival is celebrating their 20th birthday this year. It's a completely voluntarily organized film festival that brings lots of Japanese filmmakers, food, culture, and of course, movies to Frankfurt, Germany, big German theme this week, on an annual basis. And instead of cancelling, they are switching to online streaming diverse current Japanese short and feature-length films accompanied by interactive offerings such as live streams and panel discussions. And that runs from June 9th to June 14th. And more information and tickets are available from Nippon, N-I-P-P-O-N, connection.com, nipponconnection.com. And then last but not least this week, we have at Fermicious underscore Lid on Twitter, who's asked for a shout out to Walton Picture House, which is the last remaining independent cinema in Liverpool. Uh, it's almost 100 years old and it's just the best, most beautiful place to watch films, according to Fermicious underscore Lid. And it has intermissions with a lady selling ice creams in front of the screen. So Walton Picture House, uh, not part of the Picture House chain, I believe. This is a picture space house uh, cinema so check that out google walton picture house and if you want to have your cinema or your festival given a shout out in this segment every single week every week then please do get in touch uh, with me on twitter or with empire but use the hashtag celebrate our cinemas that gives us a better chance of seeing it or slide into my dms my dms are open at chris hewitt on twitter and speaking of celebrate our cinemas it is now time to talk about movies that are not showing in cinemas right now 
as things stand, uh, it is the Refuse section of the show. There's only one place to start, and that is with Eliza Hitman's acclaimed drama, Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always, which is, I guarantee you, a film whose title I will never be able to remember. Like, <laughs> Alexander's No Good, Terrible, Horrible, whatever that is. I can never, I'll never be able to Alexander remember Alexander and the No Good, Terrible, Horrible. No, damn it, you're See, right. I've precisely right. Anyway, this film is meant to be absolutely incredible. Is it? Helen, what is it? Tell us about it. Yes, it is. Um, it is a drama um, directed by Eliza Hitman, um, and it was a big hit at uh, the Sundance Film Festival earlier in the year. Got a lot of kind of momentum behind it coming out of that. It's one of these very small, very focused uh, independent movies. It's about a teenage girl who finds herself pregnant, um, and it's about her journey to have an abortion essentially i mean there's it's a very very closely focused extremely realistic at times almost kind of real time story you know she goes to a crisis pregnancy center in her town she's very anxious that her parents or her mother doesn't know what's going on which of course limits what she's allowed to do is, as an underage person, she lives in Pennsylvania, which has rules against performing abortions on underage people without their parents' consent. Um, so she ends up having to travel with her with her cousin Skylar uh, to New York City in the hopes of getting it dealt with there. Um, and so it's the two girls basically. I, I mean, you'd call it a road trip, except they they just go on a bus and then they get off in New York and then they go to a clinic. It's it's not something where they're some on some quixotic adventure where they meet strange people around every corner. They meet some people, but it's not really one of those kind of films. Um, so Sydney Flanagan plays Autumn, who's the protagonist. Tally Ryder is her cousin. Um, and it's just an incredibly empathetic and um, close, intimate view of a young woman's life, basically. Uh, and that is really, really powerful in itself. The title comes from a specific scene in the film that is one of the most powerful things I think I've seen this year. I think it's an absolutely stunning scene. And I'm not even sure if the other person in the scene is an actress or if she is someone who does that in life uh, because it's so realistic and it's so granular and it's so kind of detailed and um, and there's a kind of a beauty in that. I think there's a real power to that, to just looking at something and not looking away from it. Um, so I just was wowed by this. I think it's a, a really, really powerful film and I think whatever your views on um, abortion are, I think uh, you should see it. And I, I think especially if you're, if you're actually anti it because I feel like it's a very empathetic view of a girl who sees no other way out um, it, it's not a political film this is not a film that makes big big statements this is not one that's you know carrying a banner and wearing badges on its chest it's just a look at a human being and I think that that is sometimes more powerful than any other statement you can make. I feel like rather than specifically sort of targeting um, anti-abortionists it's just about the experiences of women and the the mm -hmm. the large scale and minor scale occurrences every day of just having to put up with shit and having to get past barriers and having to be there for each other to try and just literally get through yeah. life um the the sort of relationship between autumn and skylar it's not like a super close relationship they're not like super buddies but they are ultimately there for each other um and the film kind of quite neatly demonstrates all these seemingly minor things that just pile up day by day in 
everyday occurrences and in these more extraordinary circumstances that just make shit difficult for women, especially young women in the US um, and especially someone in Autumn's position. And I think Eliza Hitman's focus really gets that across like some of the just the camera movements and stuff that the scene that helen was talking about that gives the film its name is like a five minute unbroken take and it just it just the camera just stays on autumn it's not like a flashy 1917 moving through bunkers all this sort of stuff it's it's an extended take but it's just on her and on her performance and it is amazingly well done and also the final half hour of this is about a 90 minute film and if for me it was quite a slow build it's sort of a lot of it is playing under the surface and um you sort of just pick up the scenario from the actions happening on screen it's not like it's there in the dialogue oh no i'm pregnant what do i do it's sort of quite underplayed but the final half hour that it builds to as basically they're in new york and their money starts to run out pretty quickly and that means their options are also quickly running out it was all like i felt almost unbearably tense it's <laughs> towards really the tense end. yeah really, it's really it's tense. like almost yeah. like i wrote in the review it's almost like a social horror film it's just these people mm. end up in this situation they're just trying to do the best thing that they can do for themselves and all the sort of circumstances are conspiring against them um when yeah it's it, but it's great it's really really good it's worth yeah. checking out Fantastic. And we loved it as well. Uh, the magazine as a whole. Uh, four stars for never, rarely, sometimes, always. And now we segue smoothly into The Wrong Missy, the latest Netflix movie, the latest Happy Madison produced Netflix movie. Adam Sandler is not a credited producer on this one, but it is from the Adam Sandler stable. And it stars David Spade as a man who goes on a work retreat and gets in over his head with a crazy lady called Missy, who is the wrong Missy because he wanted to invite a different Missy that he had a connection with. And then this other Missy turns up and she's crazy. But sparks begin to fly anyway because reasons. What did we think of this one, Jimbo? So this is a film that dropped on Netflix without fanfare or warning. And I kind of see why that's the case. So this stars David Spade as a salesman called Tim Morris, who meets the woman of his dreams at an airport in a meet-cute where they are both reading the same James Patterson book. And if that doesn't tip you off to the fact that everyone in this is dreadful, nothing will. Um, (laughs) They get separated. He goes on a corporate retreat to Hawaii and he texts her spontaneously and asks her to join him. Unbeknownst to him, he has texted the wrong Melissa. He has texted someone he went on a disastrous blind date with six months previously who carries a big knife, was very loud and very, shall we say, full on. And quote-unquote hilarity ensues. Now, it's important that I preface this by saying that Empire Magazine, our illustrious magazine, reviewed this film. It is important that I say that David Hughes, who I both love and respect reviewed this film. It is also important to say that David Hughes gave this film one, two, three stars, which is at least two stars too many. Which is a recommendation. This is a film in which Rob Schneider cameos and his cameo is arguably the funniest thing in the film. And again, if that doesn't show you how terrible this film is, there's nothing that I can say that will convey this properly. So this is this is directed by Tyler Spindle, and he he directed Spade in Father of the Year on Netflix as well, which is uh, another film. 
I didn't have my I didn't have your camera on my screen whenever you said that. Did you air quote around directed? Because this is one of the most lazily shot, lazily directed films I have seen in a long, long time. But anyway, yeah. please continue. It's also written by uh it's Chris Papperson, Kevin Barnett, who uh who put Spade and Sandler together in the do-over. So with a pedigree like this, it's almost impossible to imagine that this film is genuinely so painfully unfunny so almost hateful so i i honestly came so mm-hmm. fucking close to turning this off literally 15 minutes into it i was like no i'm not gonna i can't i can't i cannot do this and yeah. i made myself hate watch this for the full 90 minutes constantly mm-hmm. wishing for either it to end or me to die whichever would come soonest neither happened christ one star. It's so bad. <laughs> I mean, look, it, it, you know, it kind of, I wasn't thrilled to be watching it. I wasn't like on paper excited that it, thinking it was going to be one of the best movies of the year. Um, but I'm not 100% sure of these things when I go into stuff. I used to watch uh, Just Shoot Me, which had David Spade in it. Mm-hmm. You know, I can get through David Spade content. That's fine. Um, but literally <laughs> that's in the, the first... <laughs> that's, the, that's the goal, isn't that's it? The goal. You see David but Spade in the... in the movie, my goal is to get through this. <laughs> but like in the first, what, 10 minutes, he goes on this original date with the wrong Missy, um, which is dreadful. And part of the reason it's dreadful is that he doesn't drink at that point, at least. And she just berates him for it and I don't drink and I've been berated for it and I instantly wanted to just end her and never see her again and instead she screams and hollers her way through the entire film and I don't understand and this is a funny woman like Lauren Lapkus who plays the wrong Missy has been in stuff being funny I feel like I've seen that before right I'm not just did I hallucinate it right I mean, and and yet, and yet, it just was just she's, no, she's just awful. Really impossible to like. I find in this, but the thing is, so mm. is he. But he, she's over mm-hmm. the top irritating, and he's just bland and obnoxious and awful. And it's just, I hated every single person in this. This film kind of broke me because it it is mm. as terrible as you both said, <laughs> but I, I I laughed a few times Ugh. and while well, I was hostage to it, and I think partly that is because a lot of that was just Lauren Lapkus. Like it feels like the film is really badly calibrated because she is on like ultra mega crazy weird. She's like a manic pixie nightmare girl. <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. And it's so overcranked the whole way that it just plays at this one like mad level. There's no sort of peaks or troughs mm. to it because it's just all balls out crazy yeah. all the she way. She starts not at 11, but 666, <laughs> and there's nowhere yep. to go from there. No. But there were still flashes in there that, like, just l- tiny moments in her performance. It wasn't, like, specific gags that made me laugh, but, like, occasional bits of line delivery or her, just her, like, wild eyes um, would make me laugh. But it would just make me go, there's something in this, like, having a performer like Lauren Lapkus get to just, like, go for it, get to play this role that is just, like, nuts. And she gets to go really, mm. really big, but it's too big all the time. It was like yeah. annoying, almost annoying that I could see a bit of potential in it um, that it wasn't quite living up to. This reminded me of um, weirdly in terms of she's totally committed to this role and you know this is a big opportunity for her she's been a you know a great supporting actor for a number of years she's done gangbusters and comedy bang bang a regular guest on that she's really really great really talented but this is a big opportunity for her so maybe this is her way of trying to seize it with both hands and and 
you know, maybe create a memorable character, something that sticks in your brain. It does, but for all the wrong reasons. It's, it's a character that's so annoying and so awful that you just want someone in the movie to actually say that to her, to sit her down and go, what's wrong with you? Why are you the way that you are? What, what are you, this is a cry for help. What are you doing? Uh, rather than, oh, I'm gradually falling in love somehow with her crazy, cookie, quirky ways, despite the fact she's one of the worst human beings on the planet. <laughs> it reminded me in a way of uh, uh, another Adam Sandler movie, Lats My Boy, the one where he teamed up with um, Andy Samberg. And that is a movie in which Adam Sandler has committed full-blown, same thing as with Little Nicky to this excruciating nails-on-a-blackboard character and performance. And when that happens, the film stands and falls on the strength of his jokes. Now, for my money, Lats My Boy and Little Nicky have great inspired non-sequitur, off-the-wall, left-field, brilliant, bizarre, surreal jokes that just about save the day. This doesn't. This is, by the numbers, David Spade wants a holiday. Let's go to a nice resort <laughs> and, and shoot some stuff with him. And you know, have, and it just doesn't work for me. Having said that, like Ben, I laughed a, a couple of times. I texted you guys uh, after mm. about 10 minutes going, I have laughed several times already. But once they get to the really? uh, resort, it just runs out of steam. Mm. And the biggest waste in this movie is Sarah Chalk, who uh, is mm. the wonderful Elliot on Scrubs, mm. which I've been revisiting recently inspired by the brilliant uh, Scrubs Rewatch podcast by Zach Braff and Donald Faison, uh, Fake Doctor's Real Friends, which is really, really worth uh, a listen. And she's so good and so talented and so wonderful and so funny uh, in that show. And she's so utterly wasted here, reduced to a punchline. And it's a real shame. Uh, mm. And Lauren Lapkus is so much better than this and she deserves so much better than this. I didn't mind David Spade, actually, because he's actually playing the straight man for once and he's not trying to be obnoxious or rude or or, or, or Joe Dirt or, or any of those crazy, weird characters he's done in the past. And yes, the Robert Snyder character is pretty funny. It is pretty funny. There's a couple of bits that made me laugh. But by and large, um, I thought this was pretty dismal. Yeah, you, you just kind of hate everybody mm. involved. And, you know... <laughs> Sarah, Sarah Chalk basically no but Sarah Chalk plays his cheating ex-fiance so yeah. she cheated on him and is now with some other terrible person he's also got a, an evil female business rival who's like his competition in the company and then you know this awful Missy and so you, you just get like tired of all these awful people turning up and somehow being fascinated by David Spade it does feel a lot like David Spade. Like if I didn't know he didn't write the screenplay, I might have thought he'd written the screenplay. There's there's mm -hmm. a, a certain, shall we say, love scene in this. And I felt like, I was like, there is nothing about this that on any plane of reality makes coherent sense. Like it's the most improbable thing that could ever have happened. And it's also a really mm. awful scene as well and painfully unfunny. I just, which really is the whole film. Three stars, Empire Magazine. Thank you very much. <laughs> Truly, truly dreadful on every conceivable level. <laughs> Three stars. Three stars. <laughs> uh, last film to talk about this week is a film that came out last week. It was available on demand and it is a documentary. Uh, it is 70 minutes long. So five stars then for Infinite Football. <laughs> Hell's Bells. Uh, as the biggest football fan in this virtual room, what did you think of this? Oh, that's true. I'm a, I'm a huge, huge fan of the ball game um so <laughs> so i'm apologize i apologize because i'm about to badly mangle a name now but this is a documentary about Laurentiu Gingina, who is a romanian uh bureaucrat frankly but 
When he was younger, he liked to play football. And while he was playing football one day in a sort of, you know, improvised match with some friends, he was badly injured. And since then, he has made it his life's work to try to develop a safer, faster, better form of football. Um, now, he has had apparently some interest from, you know, the big football organizations, FIFA and the rest. Um, but so far, it has come to nothing. And this is really a portrait of uh, a guy with a big dream and zero capacity to make it come true. Um, uh, the filmmakers Cornelio Porum. Boy, and again, apologies for my pronunciation. Um, and he it, it basically just lets Lorenzo talk. He just sets him up and, you know, turns him on and, and he, he just tries to explain his vision for the beautiful game. So he wants to have more zones in the field where you wouldn't be allowed to leave your zone. So if you're a, a forward, you're in that zone, but you still can't be offside. And so that's presenting some problems and he has to figure those out. He's trying to He's talking about cutting off the corners of the pitch like he's, you know, a papermaker in Battlestar Galactica to try and avoid those kind of harsh turns that might, people might get injured. Um, he's got all these ideas so that you wouldn't get 10 on one scenarios where all of the team are coming at you at once mm. and, and people would be locked more into position. And that would, he thinks, free up the game, make it safer, make it faster. Not everyone agrees with him. He's still trying to figure out the details. And that's really it. It's just a portrait of this very well-intentioned dreamer um, who has what, uh, even as a non-fan, sounds to me like a crazy dream. Uh, so that's infinite football. But it is kind of fascinating just as a portrait of a guy at a moment in time. You know, he came up through the old uh, sort of Soviet system, or not Soviet, but communist system. And that still has kind of shaped his world. I think it shaped the way that his injury was treated at the time and wasn't treated very well and, you know, mended very badly. And so he's kind of been haunted by this his whole life. And so it's a portrait of obsession, but you kind of love him and you kind of wish him the best, um, even if his ideas sound again. I'm I'm a layperson, crazy. Um, so <laughs> God bless him and uh, good luck to him. And yeah, I was I was kind of fascinated. Yeah. But there isn't much here. Let's be honest. It's just a guy talking for seventy minutes. That's pretty. I think you've just described a podcast. <laughs> He'd make an incredible podcast about this. I think it could be fascinating. Yeah. Um, I wonder what he thinks he was... about the wrong missing. <laughs> <laughs> Unless he was interrupted, as he is uh, at one point in this film, by a little old lady trying to sort out a land dispute, and um, because his day job is actually looking after that kind of thing, um, so you know, it's it's just a really charming film about a really crazy idea. Okay, so the official Empire review for this is not up yet, but Helen, what would you give it? Sounds like a three. I, it, a three, or maybe even a four. Like it's, I was really charmed. I just had no clue why this would help. And on the wrong Missy curve, what would you give it? Oh, my, like a million. A million stars then for Infinite Football. And that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun. Well, we'll be joined in lockdown, of course, because we're responsible people and we distance ourselves socially. Not by Ben. Sorry, Ben, you're out of the rotating fourth chair no. because we got a very exciting, hopefully this will happen, very exciting new member of the team sitting in the fourth chair. Say hello to Jason Isaacs who will be joining us for the recording of next week's episode so that is very very exciting indeed uh, but until then until that auspicious occasion until we meet again it is goodbye from Ben Travis goodbye
It is goodbye from James Dyer. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from Helen O'Hara. Sorry, uh, Una has been teaching me how to pronounce your name correctly, so I believe that is the correct pronunciation of your name. Helen O'Hara. Right. Toodaloo, anyway. Great. It is true. It is true. Goodbye then from Helen O'Hara. And it is goodbye from me. Very excited about Jason Isaacs being on the show next week. I am off to watch Event Horizon in preparation. I've never seen it. I hear it's pretty damn good. Thanks so much for listening, you guys. Stay safe. See you next week. Bye. Bye.